Take your Bible, if you would, to the Gospel of John. I want you to go to my favorite chapter in the Bible, John chapter 15, if you would. John chapter 15. I want to speak to you tonight on uh, this subject, the normal Christian life. The normal Christian life. I am convinced that many believers are a long way away from the normal Christian life. And I think we fail to really understand what that even involves, what that means, and what God has to say about it. And so for a few moments tonight, I'd like to explore that subject uh, from John chapter 15. John 15, notice with me verse 1. By the way, thank you for all the good music and singing tonight. And church, thank you for your support for our ministry. I went over all that in the Sunday school hour, but I'll say it again. I appreciate so much your standing with us and being a partner with us in our church planning ministry that your pastor just uh, referred to a moment ago. Uh, We could not accomplish what we're endeavoring to accomplish without uh, the support of the Lord's people and churches like this. So we certainly appreciate that. God's doing some great things, and you have a part in each and every one of those things, and we're grateful for that. John chapter 15, verse 1, Jesus here is speaking. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, Except and abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. By the way, he didn't say more with me or less without me. He said zero. Verse 6. If a man abide not in me, he's cast forth as a branch and is withered. Men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples." The Lord Jesus Christ gave three major invitations in his ministry. The first invitation was simply, come unto me. We find that in the book of Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, come unto me. The second invitation, follow me, follow me, Matthew chapter 8, verses 18 to 22 follow me. The third is found here in John chapter 15. Abide in me. Now the first invitation is to know him. The second invitation is to learn of him. The third invitation is to be intimate with him. The first speaks of our relationship. The second speaks of discipleship, but the third one speaks of fellowship. 
It is the third invitation that Christ is dealing with here in John chapter 15. It's a great portion of Scripture. Now, we stopped our reading at verse 8, but if we continued, you would find that the theme continues on for several more verses. The idea of abiding. Christ uses the vine and the branch to illustrate the spiritual principle of abiding. Now, I want you to think with me. If you've you've tuned out already, tune back in, because I need you to stick with me. We learn to receive all that we need from Christ just as the branch receives all that it needs from the vine. All that the vine has is available to the branch, and all that Christ has is available to the believer. Grasp that. All that Christ has is available to the believer. We ought to rejoice in that. Many times in our, in our Christian life, we, we journey through as paupers, and, and we journey through um, uh, deficient when we ought to be uh, rejoicing in all that God has in store for us, but we're not claiming it. We, we don't even understand it. We are to be connected to Christ the way the branch is connected to the vine. Let me say it this way. When you are prepared to be to Jesus Christ, what Jesus Christ was to the Father, Jesus Christ is prepared to be to you what the Father was to Jesus Christ. And that's the normal Christian life. That that should not be something that we think of as mystical or deeper life or spooky in some way. It should just be natural. Let me make that statement again. When you are prepared to be to Jesus Christ what Jesus Christ was to his Father, then Jesus Christ is prepared to be to you what his Father was to Jesus Christ. Now, that is the normal Christian life. The good news is that God gives us the spiritual insight and instruction as to how to live the normal Christian life. I'm a practical person. I want to understand not just what I'm supposed to do, but how I'm supposed to do it. In other words, I want to know not just that I'm supposed to pray, but how to pray. Not just that I'm supposed to witness, but how to witness. Not just that I'm supposed to live the normal Christian life, but how to live the normal Christian life. The normal Christian life, by the way, is not just showing up to church once in a while or reading the Bible on Sunday morning or tipping God when the offering plate comes by, as is the vision in so many minds of believers. It's deeper. In fact, revealed in this passage are several concepts, and I'm going to give you four. 
And in a very practical way, these four concepts help us understand what the normal Christian life is all about. And I submit to you tonight that we can and we must live the normal Christian life. So what are these four concepts? I wish you'd write them down because I think they'll be a help to you and perhaps one day through you to others. Here they are. We can live the normal Christian life by these four or through these four concepts. Number one, by fulfilling a purpose. Do you realize that God has given to us a purpose? I'm amazed at how many people don't get that. They wander through life wondering, what is my purpose? Why am I here? What is life all about? You go to a secular bookstore, and and one of the largest sections in that bookstore has to do with this issue of purpose. And when it's all said and done, more has been said than done. Because they they never really help you understand your God-given purpose. But as a believer in Christ Jesus, the normal Christian life includes a purpose. You say, what is the purpose? Look at verse 2. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. Look down at uh, verse 8. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. Look at verse 16. You have not chosen me, but I've chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit. See, our purpose is not to be popular. Our purpose is not to be famous. Our purpose is not to uh, be rich. Our purpose is not to get to the head of the class. Our purpose is to bear fruit. And if we're not bearing fruit as a believer, there's something amiss in our lives. There's just something wrong if we're not bearing fruit. Because God's divine purpose for every single child of His is that we bear fruit. That's God's purpose. That's why we're here. The reality is this. God could have taken us to heaven 10 seconds after we got saved. Right? I mean, literally. I remember that uh, evening when I put my faith in Jesus Christ as an 8-year-old boy, and, and God could have taken me to heaven right after I uh, prayed that prayer Right after I confessed my sin and invited Jesus into my heart, God could have taken me to heaven. The only reason why he left me here was so that I would fulfill a purpose. Same for you. And we are to bear fruit. Now, the Bible speaks about inner fruit. We call that the fruit of the Spirit. And I'm not going to take time to describe all that, but it's given to us in the book of Galatians, chapter 5. And we're to bear fruit. That, that bearing fruit, by the way, is not always an easy task. I don't know about you, but there's, there's dimensions of that bearing fruit that I struggle with and, and have to work on. But we're to bear that fruit. Then there's the outer fruit. And that outer fruit represents our witness, the ability to share the gospel with other people, to tell those people about Jesus Christ. Now, by the way, those two are not really different. Those two really complement one another. 
Because if I'm not bearing the fruit of the Spirit, I'm really not going to be very effective in telling people about Jesus Christ. If inner fruit is not in place, then I'm not really going to be very effective with my outer fruit. Because not many people are going to listen to someone who is not bearing the fruit of the Spirit. And so some people have a deep burden to be a witness and a, and a great desire to see people come to Jesus Christ. But because they're not bearing inner fruit, they don't have a testimony that's strong enough to draw people to Christ. Other people, boy, they focus on bearing that, that inner fruit and, and they just really want to be the best Christian they can be. And, and they work on those elements and, and they want that joy and they want all that peace and, and all of that's wonderful and all that's great. But they never open their mouth to share anything with a lost person. Folks, it has to go together. Our life and our lips must match. A purpose. You know, if you went out and planted an apple tree, and year one passed, no apples, year two, no apples, year five, no apples, near year ten, no apples, at some point you say, this tree is worthless, let's cut it down. It doesn't, it's not fulfilling its purpose. We planted the tree so that we'd get some apples. God put us here to bear fruit. You know how this church is going to continue to grow and impact this community for Jesus Christ if he tarries? By God's people bearing fruit. That's the only way. And, 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 and thank God for all the ministries and, and all the programs and, and everything that a church does. But at the end of the day, it, it deals with God's people saying, I want to, I want to uh, fulfill the purpose for which God has placed me on this earth. And I want to bear fruit in my neighborhood, my place of employment, at my school, my place of recreation, wherever it may be. I want to bear fruit. I want my life to count in bringing people to Jesus Christ. The normal Christian life should involve bearing fruit, fulfilling a purpose. But not only that, number two, by following a pattern. By following a pattern. Now, we're not going to be effective in, in um, fulfilling a purpose if we don't follow the pattern. You say, what's the pattern? Look down to verse 4. Jesus said, abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except you abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches, he that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me ye can do nothing. In other words, we cannot do it without Christ. So we can all say tonight, oh, glory to God, I want to fulfill my purpose. I want to bear fruit, inner fruit, outer fruit. I want to do that. I purpose to do that. By the grace of God, I will do that. Guess what? You have to follow the pattern. And the pattern is we must abide in Christ. It's not our personality. It's not our charisma. It's not our ability. It's not our giftedness. It's none of those things. It is that we depend upon Jesus. That's what it is. Verse 5, without me ye can do nothing. Zero. 
You say, now wait a minute. I thought we were to depend on him the way he depended on his father. Absolutely. Go to chapter, chapter 5. John chapter 5. Do you see, when Jesus Christ came here, he came as a pattern for us. He lived as a pattern. He died as a savior, but he lived as a pattern. And in John chapter 5, notice with me verse 19. Then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, now get this, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he seeth the Father do, for what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. Do you understand? Jesus did what the Father would have him to do. And we are to do what Jesus would have us to do. Look at verse 30. Same chapter. Chapter 5, verse 30. I can of mine own self do nothing. Wow. Jesus said, I can't do it alone. I can of my own self do nothing. I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not mine own will, but what? The will of the Father which hath sent me. Go to chapter 6. Look, verse 38. Chapter 6, verse 38. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. Go to chapter 8. Look at verse 28. 29. Then said Jesus unto them, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then ye shall know that I am He, and that I do nothing of myself. But as my Father hath taught me, I speak those things, or these things. And He that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please Him. So Christ was all about the will of His Father and pleasing the Father, and doing that which the Father would have him to do. We need to be all about pleasing Jesus Christ and doing everything that he would have us to do. He's our pattern. The Apostle Paul said three times in the New Testament, follow me as I follow Christ. He didn't say, follow me because I'm really important, and I'm some special apostle. And I want you to name some city in Minnesota after me. And I want you to build some big uh, cathedral over in London after me. No, no, no. He said, follow me as I follow Christ. It's all about following Christ. He's the pattern. And when we, we lose sight of this, if we don't abide in Christ, if we don't understand that our power, our strength comes from abiding in Him, we're never going to get it done. In fact, go back, if you would, to John 15. Look at verse 6. In verse 6, it says, If man not abide in me, he is cast forth as a branch withered. Men gather them, cast them into the fire, and they're burned. In other words, if we don't abide in him, we're just like an old branch that's been cut off for the vine. What do you do with those vines? You can't, you, can't, you can't build a house out of them. What do you do with them? 
You know what they're good for? Decorations. You make a little wreath, hang it on the wall. And that's what a lot of Christians are. Just little decorations. Why? Because we've never learned how to abide in Jesus. We've lost sight of the pattern. I feel so sorry for believers who are trying to do it in their own strength. They get irritated. They get frustrated. They feel guilty. They work harder. We've missed it. It's not about any of that. It's about determining to fulfill the purpose as we follow the pattern. And the pattern is we have to abide in Jesus. Now there's a third point. If we're going to live the normal Christian life, we must fulfill a purpose, we must follow a pattern, but we have to adopt a procedure. Now you say, what's the procedure? All right, let's look at verse 9. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Now get this, continue ye in my love. Verse 12. This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Verse 17, these things I command you, that ye love one another. Look how he stated it, if you'll go back to chapter 13. In chapter 13, Jesus said it this way. He said, a new commandment, verse 34. A new commandment I give unto you that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. And then verse 35, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Did you hear that? How are people going to know that we're disciples of Jesus Christ? Because we carry around a, a big black King James Bible? No. I do, but that's not it. Because we go to church every week? No, I do, but that's not it. Because we pay our tithe and give an offering? No, we do that, but that's not it. How people know that we're disciples of Jesus Christ is that we love one another. You take that ingredient out of the church and you don't have anything more than a country club. See, it is not purity, it is not sincerity, it is not creativity, it is not even integrity, it is charity that the church needs. Got to love one another. It's amazing. It's amazing how churches can fuss and fight and bicker and go at one another. It's incredible to me. I've been called sometimes to moderate business meetings in churches because there's been warring factions. I don't call it moderating, I call it refereeing. I've been there. It's horrible. And I plead with you in Jesus' name, never let that happen here. Never. Love one another. You say, brother, so-and-so offended me. Here's your options. Go to brother so-and-so and get it settled. 
You say, well, I, I just can't do that. Then you know what? You forgive brother so-and-so and move on with life. But here's what you don't do. You don't talk about brother so-and-so. You either deal with him or you forgive him. Those are your options. That's the way it works. It's amazing how many little things creep in and can begin to destroy a church. Particularly when a church is alive and well and God is blessing. Now, by the way, a lot of dead churches don't have problems because they're dead. Satan doesn't have to mess with those. Why does he have to worry about churches that aren't winning people to Jesus Christ anyway? <laughs> it doesn't matter. They're not, they're not hurting anything. But a church that's endeavoring to reach a community and impact a world, a church that's on fire for Christ, a church that's endeavoring to, to uh, you know, make a difference in the lives of teenagers and children and, and, and young couples and singles and, and elderly folks and senior citizens, a church that's just endeavoring to uh, spread the gospel at every opportunity through every means possible, those are the churches that Satan goes after. And he will. And those are the churches that, that have to be incredibly careful that they don't allow those little things, those small foxes to spoil the vine, as Scripture teaches. Little things. You know, husbands and wives, it's often the little things. I've done marriage counseling for 41 years. Ugh. And I'm telling you, what, what, what husbands and wives fuss about is amazing to me. Just crazy little stuff. I'm thinking to myself, you've got so many things going for you. You love her. You love him. You have X number of years in this relationship. And yet you're arguing over these petty little issues. God deliver us. But it happens in the church sometimes. And my challenge is this. We fulfill the Christian life when we determine personally, whether anybody else does or not, that we're going to be a loving individual. We're just going to love people. We're just going to do that. If someone hurts us, offends us, wounds us, doesn't talk to us, doesn't smile at us, takes our seat, Parkinson our spot. We're just going to love them anyways. That's what we have to do. We have to fulfill a purpose. We have to follow a pattern. We have to adopt a procedure. But we have to claim a promise. You say, what's the promise? Look at verse 11. Chapter 15. Here's the promise. Jesus said, These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. Now, by the way, not the joy that the world can give, but his joy. His joy. And, and the promise we claim is that the Lord wants us to be joyful. He does. He wants us to be joyful. 
that's important because Nehemiah said it so well in chapter 8, verse 10. The joy of the Lord is your strength. What gets you going through the day? What carries you over those trials? What, what gets you through those moments of heartache? What, what, what just picks you up and keeps you going when you're weary? The joy of the Lord's your strength. Amen. Folks, every time we enter the, the house of God, you ought to come with a spirit of expectation that, that God is going to meet with you. That, that the music is going to bless your heart. You say, well, I don't like that song. Well, stay tuned. You'll like the next one. It's not a big deal. You'll like the next one. If, if, if everybody had the mindset, well, every song has to be the song I like, it'd be a disaster. How could it work? You say, well, the preacher preached too short, the preacher preached too long, the building's too hot, the building's too cold. Oh my goodness. We allow all of that stuff to rob us of the joy that we ought to sense and we ought to feel when we gather in Jesus' name to worship and to serve. The, the idea of Jesus' joy in us you know, it doesn't cost any more to have a good time than a bad time. You may as well have a good time. Some Christians go through life with a Bible under one arm and a tombstone under the other. Be as miserable as I am. And they wonder why they're not attracting people to Christ. Nobody wants that. A sour attitude. It doesn't work. Boy, let's Let's figure out how many things, how many elements of the service were a blessing to us. How many elements of the Lord's Day were a blessing? I think sometimes as Christians we look for the one or two things that we disagree with instead of the ten things that, we're, that we were blessed by. We've got to change our thought process. Satan would love to rob our joy because in robbing our joy he robs our strength. And so instead of saying, well, boy, I just, you know, so-and-so didn't talk to me, or that Sunday school lesson, you know, just it wasn't what it should have been, or, or whatever, don't, don't think about those negative things that are, that are, by the way, in every church. Think about those things that enrich you, build you, encourage you, strengthen you, help you, minister to you, lift you up. And I guarantee you that list at the, end of the, of, at the end of the Lord's day is going to be far longer than, the, than that piddly little list that, that we come up with with things that really don't matter at all. Don't let a couple little things ruin the Lord's day for you. You say, well, wait a minute. Do you think we have these issues in our church? I don't know if you do or don't. I have no idea. I just have been preaching for a long time and I'm in churches week in and week out, and I just, I just know that along with the church folks and church people and congregations, 
These are issues that are faced from time to time. And it'd be far better to hear a preventative message than to have to have a curative message. So if none of those things are an issue in your life, thank God for it. But, but if, you're, if you're here here tonight and you're thinking, boy, that has struck a chord with me. I go home on Sunday night and sometimes I'm just too negative about what didn't go my way on Sunday. Focus on the things that did go your way. Focus on the songs that were a blessing. Focus on the scripture. Focus on the message. Focus on the people that got saved. The people who made decisions for Christ. The visitors that came. Wow. God is doing some exciting things here at this church. I'm going to tell you something. Many times after a founder of a church serves for a long time as your founder, Dr. Dinoff, did, many times it all falls apart after that. But it hasn't. Thank God. It hasn't. It's going great. And I know Dr. Dinoff's in heaven rejoicing over every victory in this church. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Folks, the normal Christian life, we got a purpose. Let's spread the gospel. Let's bear fruit. Let's follow that pattern, which is Jesus Christ, and draw our strength from him to do what we need to do. Let's do that in love, and let's do it with joyful spirit. And I promise you, that's the way God intended for us to live as his people.